Grace, mercy, peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today is a great day that we can rejoice as the church. For after 49 long years, the Lord, having heard our cries and our lamentations, has overturned Roe v. Wade. We have waited for this time. We have prayed ceaselessly for this to happen, that God would rescue these poor children and also these mothers from making decisions that impact their entire lives. But just because we have this victory today does not mean that the church together gives up praying or gives up doing things which the church has continued to do. In fact, we have more to do now than we did yesterday. There are more women and children that are now going to need our help. We cannot, as the church, become lazy or apathetic. We have a fight on our hands because we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the principality of evil, against Satan, who is, as the Lord says, a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. He loves the culture of death. He loves to see the sacrifices of children for convenience, for sexual promiscuity and fornication. He loves to see us put things before the Lord so that we ourselves must become liars and thieves and murderers. But today we rejoice. For Satan, if just for a while, has been put down Before our eyes, we have seen our prayers and a great miracle answered. Amidst the death threats that these Supreme Court justices have faced, for them and for their families, they stayed true and they upheld the truth. That abortion, the right to kill a child, is not in this country's constitution. I rejoice at this ruling, as many of you, all of you should. But we must also keep our hearts on guard. We cannot become lazy or apathetic as if there is nothing left to do. You heard the reading from 1 John chapter 3, one that I saw this past week after the reading and said, I have to bring this to you. I have to read this epistle as well. Because they who do not love their brother abide in death. And it's not just an eternal death, but it is a culture of death. It is a continuation of death, even present in this life. Just before our text today, we hear something very similar. Jesus enters into Jerusalem that day on the Sabbath And when he was there, he was invited to the house of the Pharisees to eat for a meal. And placed before him was a man with dropsy. And the Lord decided that on the Sabbath day, he was going to heal that man of his sickness. But he was being closely watched by the Pharisees. They wanted to entrap him. They wanted to catch him in doing something wrong. He did work on the Sabbath day, they said. Who is that? You can't work on the Sabbath day. 
But as you have learned ever hearing that text every year that God made the Sabbath day for man, not man for the Sabbath day. God gave that day for rest. But people like the Pharisees could not rejoice in this healing miracle of God because they did not love their brother. They did not rejoice with Christ at giving life and restoring life to this man. You heard from Proverbs today. I'm going to take you just a few chapters into the future of Proverbs. So we're going to jump from Proverbs 9 to Proverbs 21, where we read this. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. His soul desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. That is what we are seeing in the country right now. This visceral reaction against the overturning of this ruling. It's because there is no mercy in the eyes of those whose sin goes to their very soul. But that is... That is the course of human nature, fallen and corrupt. It's not some outward thing on the flesh that if we just washed good enough, that we could just get it all off of us and the sin would be away from us. Sin is a poison that goes deep and down into our souls. In just Genesis chapter 6, after the world had begun to flourish, God looked down upon the earth and he saw that the hearts of man were continually toward evil. It was in the days of Noah that he grieved that he had made man because they were evil because of sin. And it was then that he decided that he would flood the entire earth, preserving just eight souls in all, Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. Evil is because of sin. Wickedness and death is because of sin. We must go to the very heart of the problem. Why is it that you can see no mercy in the eye of the one who does not love? Because love requires sacrifice. That's what you heard in Ephesians today. That love is a sacrifice. The mercy that we have from God is encapsulated in the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God sends his Son to us in love to show mercy. And mercy is the Lord's compassion toward us because we are sinful human beings. Mercy is not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's something that is gifted to you from the Lord on high. Mercy is that God does not leave you in sin. He does not leave you abandoned to the pit of Sheol. He does not leave you as thieves and liars and murderers, but he redeems you from your sins through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The Lord's mercy is that he does not forsake us to death and condemnation. That's what we deserve. 
But God, in his mercy, visits us and he rescues us by his own death and resurrection so that we would live with him. That gift, that miracle is evidenced in the parable that Jesus teaches today. A man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everything is now ready. The banquet has been prepared. Those were like Jesus' words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. It is finished. All atoned for, paid for. It is done in its entirety. Turn to the cross, trust Christ, and live. We know that the world has no peace. We cannot search the world and find any sort of mercy. It's not evidenced in the world. It's not something seen in nature. Mercy is a gift that comes from God. Jesus himself is the source of God's mercy for humanity. And he invites those in this world to turn from the, from the evil and wicked ways. Turn in, no matter what your history is. Turn in and feast upon the food that is for eternal life. The Lord receives the poor and the broken, the lonely, the oppressed, the widow, the fatherless. He is the God of them all, the God who takes care of them. Every single healing miracle, every single work that Christ our Lord does points us to the cross, points us to the sacrifices which God made for his people. To all those who will listen, he gives the peace of reconciliation with the Father, the peace of sins forgiven, the peace of eternal life. So how? How can some people be so visceral, so angry, so filled with hate that a child would be given life? How can their eyes be so filled with evil because they have not seen or known mercy? They have not received the mercy of the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. They are groping around in darkness. They love their sin. May God save them, break their hearts, turn them from their foolish ways, and bring them to the church, to the banquet feast of the Lord, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus desires this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God loves this, his creation even though he is grieved by the evil and the sin and the atrocities done in darkness, he loves by sending Christ to suffer an eternal hell in our place on the cross. By Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus ensured that heaven would always be open to us. No matter how many times we find ourselves lost and erring in sin's ways, we can always come back to Christ and find true peace and forgiveness. 
No matter how dark people think their past is, no matter how many things that they have done wrong and believe are the most unforgivable things this world has ever seen, God grants forgiveness. He gives mercy. It is a gift. You haven't earned it, but it comes by the way of Christ. No matter how great and idolatrous your heart may have been, the Lord forgives and desires to set up his altar in your heart. Desires for you to come and to feast on the heavenly food that brings eternal life. No matter how murderous your spirit has been, how many times you have turned away from your brother in need, hated them with your thoughts or your words or your actions, all those who repent and turn into the arms of Jesus will receive that forgiveness that is beyond our understanding. For God desires not, not the death of the wicked. God does not want anyone to perish and go to hell. But that all turn from wicked and evil ways, repent and live. God has prepared a place for us in heaven. He has prepared a place in the Father's mansion for us. And he wishes, desires for us to dwell there. That's why he sends his son. He sends Christ to strengthen the weary souls, to feed those who are spiritually lacking, who are starving, to give them the food that endures to eternal life because he desires to be with us into eternity. By Jesus' own sacrifice, by his slaughter, we have the food to eat. God the Father invites all sinners to come and to feast on him, the true bread that has come down from heaven. To be satisfied with the life immortal. This is the message that goes forth in every generation. As the faithful preachers call out to turn in here, to find rest and peace in the forgiveness of sins. This is the only place that you're going to find the culture of life on earth. Life does not exist outside of the walls of the church and in the word of God. The church is what teaches what true life looks like. The only thing that the world knows is what it sees, and it sees death. It calls death the circle of life. But I'm telling you, it's not a circle. It's linear. Death goes into eternity just as life goes into eternity. It's not a circle. He invites us to come into the house to live and to stay forever. Because he will come again in glory and raise both the just and the unjust. All the dead will raise. And those who believe in Christ shall be raised to eternal life. Those who do not to eternal death. The invitation goes out. And God brings the people who were once in death 
to life, the new life in Christ that we share together by the power of the Holy Spirit that has called us by the gospel to live and to dwell in the glory of our God. He creates in us, together sharing as the body of Christ, a culture of life when he covers up our sins so that we see the holiness in one another, the holiness of God. He creates the comfort for all those who mourn, who grieve death in our presence. He reminds them of the glory of the resurrection to eternal life. God creates this culture of life when he declares us righteous, justified, freely forgiven for the sake of his Son. When he takes the great burden that is upon our consciences from our sins and he takes them away, relieves us so that we may live truly free. And that's life. The life that God wishes for us to have. We now live in the very love that Christ has loved us with. A love that is free from expecting someone to return something to us in order for us to love them. What kind of love is that? Everybody does that. No, the love that we have from God is a love that is undeserved. You can Look at these children that have been in the wombs of their mothers and aborted. We love them, and yet we have never known them. We have loved mothers by praying for them, even though they are planning on aborting their children. We have loved them, hoping and desiring to free them from a life of regret and misery from murder. church has supported and built up pregnancy centers around the country and around the world to support mothers, to give them resources. The church opened up adoption centers around the world to help facilitate the fatherless coming into a new home. And many Christians have opened their doors to receive them with love, knowing that They may never return anything to us. We don't do it because there might be a return. We do it because of the love that Christ has loved us with. So even now we pray. We pray for all the women who are overwhelmed from the guilt of killing their children. We pray that they be brought to the forgiving blood of Jesus and that it would wash over them. We pray for those who make and govern our laws that they would turn from evil so that good might reign in our country. We pray for all the doctors who are practicing medically aborting, for those pharmacists who are sending out abortion pills. We pray that they turn from these things, repent, and cause no more further harm to the unborn or to the women that they are supposed to care for. We pray for the activists, the protesters, whatever you want to call them, who are so angry and filled with hatred that they cannot see anything but what is in front of them, that the Lord would break their hearts 
so that they might remember that they too were once a child in the womb of their mothers, once created by God, redeemed by Christ. And we still yet pray for the unborn because there are many states in which the murderous rage will continue even as California and other states have considered removing all criminal charges for children dying before they're one month old. We pray for the justices who oppose this overturning, that they might see clearly and judge rightly. And for all the justices and the families who faithfully voted to overturn it, that they would be supported and encouraged in boldness and confidence to continue in what is true life for all people. John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We do not use the world to teach us what is right and wrong. For the Proverbs 21 reads, every way of man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the hearts. The church has a great duty and responsibility to create this culture of life, to facilitate its growth among us in our families, in our homes. You consider that parable that Jesus taught. When they went out to give the invitation, they were rejected. A man bought some land. He needed to go check it out. Another bought some animals. He needed to go test them out. Another married a wife. He just couldn't come. These people we might hold would be upstanding citizens. A man who wants to own property and take care of it. That's a wonderful thing. A man who wants to make an honest day's wage by having animals labor in his fields. Sounds like a wonderful gift. A man who marries a wife who wants to have children and fill the world with their children, praise God. But these excuses kept them from the true source of life. They made excuses to be away from the Lord and away from his house. And when those excuses were brought back to the master, it didn't say, well, that's okay because he's not going out and, you know, fornicating. I think that's okay. He can be excused. Or because he's not going to take his wife to get an abortion, well, that's okay, he's excused. No, the master was angry. He was angry that they would refuse his gracious invitation to love them, to care for them, to go about their own way. Those men from the parable teach something to us that what they chose to do was idolatry. They had put something before the Lord. And while the parable only speaks about their choices, Jesus teaches us of the lasting consequences upon the next generations. Children love what their fathers and their mothers do and hold fast to. If the children see their parents engaged in the church, loving the church, supporting Christ and his ministry here on earth, they too love that. They raised in the faith and God 
is faithful and he continues to work in their hearts. But when idolatry creeps up, generation after generation is punished. It breeds a culture of death and the church is empty. As that hymn just said, How few are we within thy fold, thy saints by men forsaken. We must continue to pray for the ones that the Lord brings into his feast are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those from the farthest regions, the hedgeways and the highways, he brings them all in. They are those who are the weakest, who are grieving, who by the choices in their life have landed in some terrible places. But the Lord wants them here, the poor and the weakest among us, those who have gone off and become lost for a time, the Lord invites them back to find this place of refuge where he will care for them. But he cares for them through you. He hears your prayers and he answers you. He provides for your needs and you take care of those that come into your midst. God breeds the culture of life within us by taking care of our needs and sending us out to do the work of his hands, to bring glory to his holy name, to care for the weakest among us, to share with them the wonderful news of the gospel, to turn them always to Christ and Christ crucified for their sins and raised for their justification. You have everything from the Lord. Do not squander it. Do not be tempted by the world and its pleasures, for it will only lead to darkness and to death. Reside within the arms of Christ and in his love and his mercy, and you will find your home here on earth and with the Father in heaven for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.